When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go, you Redbirds. Go, you Redbirds. On the battle, fight for ISU. Welcome to In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Now, here's the voice of the Redbirds, John Fitzgerald. Hi again, and welcome in to another edition of In the Nest, the Illinois State Redbirds official weekly podcast from Learfield. This is John Fitzgerald, and coming up on this week's show, we will recap all of the latest action in Redbird Athletics, as well as preview the week ahead across the ISU athletic landscape. And in between, we'll sit down for an outstanding conversation with Redbird Hall of Famer and former NBA All-Star player and coach, Doug Collins. But first, it's time to take a look at our Redbird recap, brought to you by Jason's Deli. Redbird fans, all good things start with wholesome ingredients. Visit Jason's Deli and Normal on Veterans Parkway today and receive free ice cream with every purchase. Brock Spack and the Illinois State football team picked up a memorable homecoming win last Saturday afternoon as the Birds used a second-half rally to knock off South Dakota 12-10 inside Hancock Stadium. Quarterback Zach Anikstead found tight end Tanner Tala from two yards out to cap a six-play 75-yard drive late in the third quarter, which put the Birds ahead for good. Taula finished with a team-high five receptions in the afternoon, while redshirt freshman Ian Wagner was perfect on a pair of field goal tries, including one from 45 yards out into the wind to close out the opening half. Defensively, Illinois State limited the Coyotes to a mere 11 first downs on the afternoon, while senior defensive back DeAndre Lamont posted a game-high nine tackles for the red and black. Birds have now won two straights in Valley play, and they will look for their third consecutive win this Saturday when they visit Terre Haute for a date with Indiana State. Allie Matters and the Redbird volleyball team opened their two-match Valley homestand last Friday night and pulled off a five-set win over the Sycamores inside Redbird Arena. Ada Shadewald registered a new career high. She had 17 kills to lead the attack against Indiana State. Freshman Reagan Haith's 11 kills on Saturday nights were not enough as Evansville completed the season sweep with a 3-0 win inside RBA. Earlier this week, Haith was named the Missouri Valley Conference Freshman of the Week as the Lincoln-Nebraska native tallied 27 kills over ISU's two matches, including a career-high 16 in Friday's win over the Sycamores. The Birds are now 9-11 overall and 2-7 in the Missouri Valley Conference. 
The Redbird men's and women's cross-country teams were in action last Friday afternoon as they took the short trip to Peoria to compete in the Bradley University Pink Classic. On the women's side, redshirt senior Caroline Myers paced Illinois State on the afternoon, finishing the 6K race with a time of 21.17.4, which moved her up to 8th place all-time at ISU in the 6,000 meters. The women finished 15th overall amid the 38-team field at Bradley. The men posted a 9th place finish on the afternoon in their 35-team field as Baptiste Tardivo once again led ISU, posting a team-best 24-17 over his 8,000-meter race. The men and women will be back in action this coming Friday when they travel to Champaign to take part in the Illini Open. The Illinois State swimming and diving team was in Champaign on Friday as they battled both Illinois and SIU in a dual meet. Birds came up short in both meets at Illinois, falling to the Illini by a score of 211-88 and dropping a 183-116 decision to SIU. Sophomore Eva Reyes captured both the one-meter and the three-meter diving events on Friday. The swimming and diving team returns to action this weekend when they take part in the MVC Showcase up in Chicago. The two-day event kicks off at 5 o'clock on Friday and wraps up on Saturday with a 10 a.m. start. And finally, the Redbird soccer team lost a 1-0 heartbreaker on Sunday afternoon down in Carbondale. The Dogs tallied the lone score of the match midway through the second half as Audrey Brown stopped seven of eight shots in goal on the afternoon for the Redbirds. That's a quick look at some of the latest headlines this week in Illinois State Athletics. When we come back, our conversation with Redbird legend Doug Collins. Stay with us as In the Nest continues right after this timeout. Join us as we start up the basketball season Thursday, October 27th from noon to 1 at the Aaron Leach Stadium Club for the men and women's basketball tip-off luncheon. The luncheon will feature head coaches Kristen Gillespie and Ryan Peden along with members of their staffs. Tickets are $20 per person or buy a table of eight for $160 and get a chance to sit with the coach or student athlete. Tickets can be purchased at GoRedbirds.com slash promotions by using the promo code TIPOFF22 or call the Redbird Ticket Office at 30 Welcome back to In the Nest, and we are joined this week by a guest who needs absolutely no introduction, Redbird Hall of Famer, former NBA All-Star player and coach, Coach Doug Collins. Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, John. It is uh, so great to be what I call home. Uh, Illinois State to me, uh, when I came up here from Benton, I had a great academic background, athletic background, came up here and just fell in love with the school. Uh, now it's 50-plus years, and it's hard to believe um, to walk around and see just the excitement today, especially homecoming. Everybody's got their Illinois State gear on, and you know you feel the buzz of being on a college campus again, and it's been terrific. First of all, back here for homecoming, and there's a couple of different directions I want to go with that. But the first one is, you said it's 50 years. You said it's some of the best four years of your lives were spent here on the Illinois State campus. That's saying a lot based upon both the professional and personal career that you have put forward in the last 50 years. Uh, John, I had great mentors. Um, you know, coming out of high school, Rich Aaron was, uh, I wanted to be that kind of man, a Christian a wonderful husband, father, great coach. Um, he was my role model. And then I came up to Illinois State, and uh, Milt Weisbecker, the, the former AD, uh, became like a second father to me. And then uh, Coach Robinson, when he came in, John, you know, at that time, at age, uh, excuse me, at uh, you know, 1970, uh, Bloomington Normal, Illinois, for Doc Weisbecker to go out and bring in a black coach. Uh, to be the first black coach in Division One history, to open the door for all these other great, great coaches now that we're seeing. So I, I've always been a, a product of, of wonderful teachers and coaches. That's why there's always a, a soft spot in my heart for the athletes and to watch them play and grow. And, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, you don't come to college to go to be a professional athlete. You come to, to, to max out and be the best who you can be. You know, I always say shoot for perfection, accept excellence. 
And if you do that, great things will happen. And so I think at a place like Illinois State, you can build. You can build something that lasts. And that's, that's what excites me with seeing Coach, uh, Coach Ryan come in here uh, this year. The excitement, I think, around this basketball program, although football as well and a number of other sports, it's really palpable in being on campus since the summer. There's a ton of excitement for the athletic department moving forward, and Ryan has been a big part of that. You've been able to spend some time with him over the last couple of days. His excitement is really infectious, isn't it? Not that yours isn't, trust me, but his, his is really special, especially when you're talking about pulling in some of the best recruits around. Well, you know, he now, this is, this is going to be his program, and, you know, John, the one thing I, I don't want to ever forget is what a great Redbird Dan Muller was. Mm-hmm. You know, as a player and as a coach, the things he did for this university. And, you know, sometimes it, it's time for a change. And Ryan has been tra- uh, fantastic. You know, the one thing he's done is he's come in, and if there's something that needs to be done within the community, he's the guy that's going out and doing it right now. And so he's laying the basis, the, 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 where they can build from. Now all of a sudden, you're, now your uh, assistant coach you can start going out and being that extension of you. But if anything's happening now that's important, he's going to have his fingerprints uh, all over that. His energy, he's smart. He's had great mentors. He's been an assistant for a lot of different coaches. So he's taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, yesterday, uh, I spent about three to four hours with him in his office, talk basketball, said, Coach, show me what you're doing. You know, what, what, what is your philosophy with this? Because what's going to happen, and this is what he said. He says, I want to be able to my team to have an identity. What, what is our identity so when people come to watch us play, this is what we want to be. And so the attention to detail, uh, the, the uh, weight room, all the things they've done. I went to their practice last night, inter-squad scrimmage, uh, the enthusiasm. The players are enjoying being with one another. So it's fun for me to watch last night, the, the little scrimmage. And I think the, the Redbird fans are going to be in for a treat this winter. I think they're going to really enjoy this team. And listen, I, I don't know, and I'm not going to, you know, rain on Ryan's parade and whatever. But when I see some somebody says they're ninth in the Missouri Valley preseason, <laughs> I said I want to see the other eight teams then before I see that there's eight of them better than what I saw last night. That's great to know. Now we talked about the fact that obviously you came to campus here back in 1970. You come back for a weekend like this for homecoming. Just the physical element of Bloomington Normal and this campus has changed drastically, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. I, you know, there's one-way streets going where we used to do things. And, you know, I, I have a little flashback all the time, John, John, to give myself a chance to, you know, sometimes just think back on all those wonderful moments and, and walking around. And I looked up at Wilkins Hall and I counted up 10 floors, 1016. That was my home. And there's Horton Fieldhouse. There's Horton Fieldhouse. And that's where all my blood, sweat, and tears are. The North Gym being down there last night, that's where we practiced every single day, looking at the different things, just walking around. But, you know, um, John, we, we've got to get these kids to want to come over to games. And, and I, I, I'm starting out, my, my, my mission is Wilkins, Haney, Wright. Those three dorms are like five-minute walk. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to, you know, we have to forget, uh, John, these kids now, they've cut the cord on all their TVs. They do everything streaming, all these different things. Well, give us two hours, put down your books for a little bit, come over, enjoy your team, and go home and study again. So we got to get people in this building, and that's, that's what, that's what we're, our, our mission is right now. And we'll talk about Horton in a little bit, but obviously the facility here, and I don't care if you talk about mid-major, Power Five, anybody else in the Missouri Valley Conference, this facility, Doug Collins Court at Redbird Arena, is an incredibly special facility, especially when it's packed. Uh, Ryan and I spoke the other day with, uh, with Kyle and the AD, who's done an amazing job here. And, you know, we just started talking about different things. And what we want to be able to do is be the crown gem, the royal gem of the Missouri Valley Conference. And if there's a young man who falls into that's the level of play that he's going to play in college, then we want it to be like if you want to go to the Missouri Valley, then the place to go is Illinois State. We had a huge uh, thing yesterday, the, the, a vote with a, a board of trustees to pass to get the naming rights for $3 million for a 10-year, so $300 extra thousand dollars. And 
everything to do here, you got to have money to be able to do what you want to do. And Ryan has gone out, and some of the boosters have stepped up big time. And so for us to raise the money so these young people, when they go on the road, we can go to good meals. They can stay in nice hotels. They can travel first class the way they do things. Our, we're doing our locker room. We're remodeling that. So like you said, kid walks in, look at you know, uh, Redburn Arena, uh, walk around campus, look at all the things you have. Uh, it's just a wonderful place. And, 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 and another important thing is normal community, uh, normal Bloomingham, uh, Berm, uh, Bloomington is a, is a really nice community to live in. And so these kids, they're out, they see all these different things. So that's my mission. You know, I'm 71 years old now. And before I leave this wonderful earth, I, I would like my fingerprints to be on this thing other than just the court and my uniform, but with things that I did to help, not just the sculptor. Right. That's incredible. Let's go back a little bit. Benton High School had a very storied career there. What was the draw of Illinois State back then in 1970? I was a late recruit. Um, I didn't start on my high school team until I was a senior. So my junior year in high school, I was six feet tall and weighed 130 pounds. Uh, by, I had a great summer uh, where I really worked hard. I improved my speed and quickness. I, you know, John, when I, my freshman year, when we had to go out and run, back then it was the 440, not the 400 meters. But I ran the 440 in 75 seconds, which is as slow as you could possibly be. My senior year, I ran it in 52.7. And so that's the work that I put in. So now going into my senior year, my team there was very young. I had a couple buddies that were seniors, but we had four sophomores and a freshman. That, those, that team, those guys would go on to be an Elite Eight tournament team. So we had where you grew up in that community, you wanted to be aware of Benton Ranger. You want to wear their jersey. That was all built by Coach Heron. And what we did in the South 7 Conference against some of those teams we were competing against, I talked to my nephew who played for Coach Heron about 13 years after me. And I said, what was it that we had in Benton that was special? And he said, Uncle Doug, when we played somebody, we thought we were supposed to win. Mm -hmm. And kudos to Coach Heron for instilling that. And then I came up here. Uh, uh, Tom Sirks was my host. He picked me up. We're in a, a beat-up Volkswagen. We ran around. We played basketball in, the, in, in Horton, went to McDonald's 8. He actually was living in the basement of Coach Colley's house and renting out the basement of that. Coach Colley was the, was the coach. He was Coach Heron's coach at, at McKendry College. Dale Cruz was a freshman coach. He played on that team. So had a little bit of an end there. But when I came up here, and I always tell young people, if you're being recruited, when you walk somewhere or go somewhere, do you feel yourself living there for the next four years of your life? And, and it's just not the buildings or the coach, John. It's who am I living with? Who are my friends? Who are the kids that are going to, uh, to university here? So it's a big picture, and it all fit for me. And then it just, when I got here as a freshman, I was 6'3", about 155, and then ended up about 6'6", 175. Coach Robinson came in. Coach Heron was a great tactician. Coach Robinson was the builder of men, a life coach. You know, all these things that you have to do to be a champion. So I had the best of both worlds in helping me grow up. And I, I laugh to myself when you talk about being kind of a late senior recruit. Obviously, your son, Chris, now, which is hard to believe in her in his 10th season at Northwestern right now. But his days as a recruiter at Duke, the, the four or five-star guys he's currently recruiting at Northwestern, probably is not similar at all to your recruiting story, is it? Recruiting has changed so drastically in the last couple of decades. You know, John, with the uh, advent of the cell phones and all the streaming services, I mean, these kids will put together highlight films to music and put them out on the Internet, which I think is wonderful. The, the one thing I worry about a little bit is um, too much being thrown to these kids when they're young and so impressionable. I call it voices and choices. Who are the voices that you're listening to and what are the choices you are making based upon 
who's in your corner, who are your advocates. And sometimes what happens gets in there of these people, and they start trying to manipulate these young kids. And that's the one area I don't like, especially when you're 14 and 15 years old, when you're being heavily recruited. I didn't go through any of that. And, and so it is a different world. My son, I might mention a kid's name, and he might, yeah, I know that kid. He's from such, such school. This is what he does. These are the schools that are interested in him. And we talked about it a while ago, but the Missouri Valley is a, is a tremendous conference. What Ryan has to do is have an eye for guys like me. Who can I see out there that's just starting to blossom? And maybe right now they're not on the national radar scene, but I want to get this kid before he blows up on me. Because once he blows up, then now you're getting recruited by the ACC, the Big Ten, and your whole mindset changes. So we want to get these kids that can star at the Missouri Valley level, come in, understand when you come here, you can win the conference, you can win the conference tournament, and you have the ability to go to the NCAA tournament and maybe win a game. That, to me, is win, win, win in every direction. And that's what people are going to talk about for years to come to their grandkids about the opportunity to go play in the NCAA tournament and represent Illinois State. You know, it, it's difficult, I think, to replicate things now. You talk about recruits having videos. Obviously, at every level of college sports now, every game is televised. It wasn't the case when you were playing. I've had one game that was televised in my career. My junior year uh, at, uh, at Illinois State, we played SIU on a Saturday afternoon. The game was picked up in Peoria. And that's the only game I played on national TV until I went to the Olympics. And that game played a role in you being really seen and elevating your career from a college standpoint and obviously into the Olympics then in Munich. That was my coming out party. Like when I went to uh, try out for the team in Colorado Springs, there were 67, of us that got, 67 players that got invited. And you talk about pressure, you know, John, you go, there was eight teams and and you played seven games in seven days against the other teams, but you had two weeks before, excuse me, a week before that, we practiced twice a day, so two-a-day practices for a week, and then a week where you played seven games, and then they met, they had a little dinner, and they announced who the team was, and you're sitting there, man, you know, every night, did I, did I, did I do okay today? Am I still in the mix or whatever? So they announced the, the team, and, you know, it was Tom Burleson and Jim Brewer and Mike Bannum. There's B, 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 and then they said my name. And I just dropped my head, and, you know, tears sort of came to my eyes, like, you know, I, I, I'm good enough to play against these guys. That's the first time I really thought about being a pro, never as a freshman, Never as a, fro- a sophomore. Never really through all my junior year. But when I went to the Olympic team, uh, I was the best player, a good, best guard there. And that was me saying, it's not Duke, it's not Carolina, but you got an Illinois State kid who, who, can, who can compete with all of you. And as a result, you really put this program and this institution on the national map at that point. But when you think about the fact if that game might not have been televised – now. It wasn't just that game. Let's, I mean, to be fair, you were an honorable mention All-American in your junior season as well. So you put together a phenomenal year. But it's funny if that game might not have been televised, how things would have turned. Yes, and, and one of the guys who saw the game I played against Southern, we played him during the year. The, my senior year, uh, my junior year we played, but it was uh, McMurray College. It was uh, uh, Coach Wall, whose uh, son is an NBA referee, been for 40 years. But he saw me, and Coach Robinson knew John McClendon, who, I mean, if everybody's, if nobody's ever heard of John McClendon, you know, Google or Wikipedia, whatever you do, read about John McClendon, the father of fast-break basketball. So he was a black coach in the HBCUs, and he was on the committee. And so Coach Robinson met with me. He said, you know, don't let my boy get overpassed. You know, make sure, you know, don't overlook. Don't, don't, don't let that happen. And so he was a big proponent for me making it. So... You know, John, I, I always tell uh, people, I'm 71 years old now, everybody's got a story. Okay, so we sat down, and we're getting ready to do this podcast. And you know, I said, yeah, before here, I was coach here, baseball, whatever. And so I know a little bit about your story. I know your baseball's in your background and everything. But if you had a chance to sit down, I'd say, John, just tell me who you are. We all have stories. And it's fun when we put them all together. And that's why I like doing this with you. I don't do any other podcasts or whatever. 
But to do this where I know it's not going to be controversial or anything, where you can sit and have fun and talk, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe somebody listening to this, that they find some joy. Absolutely. Now, your senior year, first-team All-American. You talked about the fact in that whole Olympic experience, which had to be incredible, you started to think that the reality of being a professional basketball player at the highest level in the in the world, how did that begin to come into play as a senior? Was there a ton of pressure your senior year as far as, boy, am I going to get selected? I know I could be, but where am I going to get drafted? Things like that. Well, I, I think that uh, really at the end of my junior year, um, a guy named Herb Rudoy, who became my agent, um, he came in and gave a presentation in the spring that the Chicago Bulls wanted me to leave school early. They wanted to draft me and sort of be the heir apparent to Jerry Sloan, who was my boyhood hero. And he laid it out, this is what they'll pay you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I said, give me a week. Don Frankie and I, who's been my best friend at Illinois State here since I walked on the campus in 1969, he had a Corvette, he was a big Corvette guy. We had planned a trip down to Daytona Beach. It was spring break. So we got in his Corvette, we started driving down, and for a week all we did was talk about what should I do. I didn't leave, and I tell you why I didn't leave, because I was betting on myself mm -hmm. that I was gonna make the Olympic team, and that what they were offering me was gonna be pennies, and I'm gonna be one of the best players and it's going to happen for me. So I bet on myself. So that's how I got to. So really at the end of my junior year is when, you know, it's, it started. You can do this if you want to. But I didn't want to leave Illinois State. I wanted to get a degree. Uh, I wanted to be able, when I had grandchildren, to say, or to my own children, I went to school, got a degree, and in do it, I even played high-level basketball. My message to young people is, don't sell yourself short in academics. If you're playing a sport, you have to be incredibly disciplined. So how do I get both? How can I do my best in sports and my best academically? And I was proud I was able to do that. I graduated as an All-American in the academics as well as uh, in the playing field of it. Um, but I, I'm one of these guys um, that if I get my eye on something and whatever work needs to be done, I hope the good Lord has given me enough talent to do it, but no one would ever outwork me. That was never going to happen. I've tried to pass that down to my children and my grandchildren. Don't ever step foot on that floor and ever look at somebody that they worked harder or played harder than you. That's something you can always give. So that's been, uh, you know, through me, John, I, I lay in bed sometimes, and I look at the ceiling, and I start talking about my walk. And... Uh, I had a guy recently, you know, I've been struggling with some health issues and all. I've had, you know, back surgeries and whatever. And I sat down with him one day, and he was going to start to treat me and work on me. And he said, you know, before I do this, I'm going to go through every scar in your body. I'm going to massage it while you tell me what that scar meant in your life. And I went through my whole body, and I said, two artificial knees, two artificial hips, a three-level back fusion, six foot operations, and, you know, then going back through the Olympics and everything. And, and John, you know what? I, I always say to myself, God, I, I really struggled with getting hurt in pros and having my career cut short because I'd made four all-star teams, and I thought I was ready to make ten. And the injuries start piling up on me, and I couldn't do it. And so any time I wanted to let that get me down, I look back and I go, what if that would have happened when I'd have been a senior in high school, excuse me, a senior in college? None of this would happen. So instead of saying it ended prematurely, say, hey, you know what, you got something that maybe you were very blessed to get. And that, that's the way I try to always look at things. When I, when I left playing, it was one of the hardest things I'd ever done because I was 30 years old. And now what am I going to do? And isn't it interesting, John, that learning how to speak and learning how to do these things, 
that I became a broadcaster. I could become an analyst. I could make my life doing that. And then I became an NBA coach, and things just started happening. A father, a son, a daughter. One went to Duke. One went to Lehigh. My daughter, both of them are in the Illinois Basketball Hall of Fame. And when I say this, I say it humbly. So this is not, oh, well, you're bragging. No, it's how hard my children work to make these things happen and how proud I am as a father. Now they're laying the ground and doing the same thing for their own children. And, and John, my joy now is in life. If I'm going to do something, it's going to be going to do something with my family or coming home here to Bloomington the normal and being with the Redbirds. That's really neat. That's incredibly special sentiment. You went to Philadelphia. Obviously, you said you, you weren't done playing in your mind. Obviously, injuries took over. You go into coaching. Whether or not maybe you were ready to go into coaching or fully enveloped in that career thought process at that point, but you started the University of Pennsylvania as a volunteer, didn't you? I did. Uh, I wanted to get. I, I didn't want to have all this free time. What was I going to do? I can't play anymore. So I, I was doing the radio home games for the Sixers, okay. and then I went to uh, after being. I would go to Penn. And I would go to their practices. And interestingly enough, a freshman on that team was Kevin Warren, who's the Big Ten commissioner now. And a senior on that team was Fran McCaffrey, who's now the coach at Iowa. So now I've got these built-in families. But I went, and how did I get to Arizona? Bob Weinauer, who was the coach there, went to Arizona State, and he said, would you go with me? And I said, you know what? Why not? Let me see if college is where I want to be. So my family, we moved to Tempe, Arizona. Oh, my God. I mean, you live in Arizona. I mean, you're waking up to if you take away the four months, that's 110 or 20. <laughs> I mean, there's eight months of just, you know, paradise. Right. We loved it. And so I was at Arizona State for two years as a coach, assistant. I didn't like the recruiting, so I said I want to be in college. So I, I got into the broadcasting. And then I actually got the job with the Chicago Bulls. I asked Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause, what made you think I could do this for you? And they said, we loved your mind when you dissected the game on TV. And so I went there. And, and, and John, I have to tell you, if I knew what I knew now, there's no way I could think what I did at 36 years old. Like, why would I even attempt that? But you know what? I rolled up my sleeves. Johnny Bach became a great mentor. I had this guy by the name of Michael Jordan, and I had a ringside seat, man. I, I, I was counted down. I coached him for five years. So I coached him for over 400 games, playoff games, watching him at 25, watching him at 40, the passion, the devotion, the just that. And he and I, we, we got a connection with one another. He brought the best out in me, and I hope I helped him grow a little bit. Obviously, he was a uber uber talent but I hope somewhere along the lines that the three years I played for him with the Bulls or was with him that it helped him become a champion I, I that's what my prayers are you know unfortunately you weren't there for the long haul of that success but that franchise isn't in a position to do what they did in those years of the championship runs without that three-year period whether or not you go back to Jordan shot against the Cavs guarded by ELO in the playoffs, or a number of things. But that was really the coming out party of that franchise. You know, John, what, what you just said, I look back on Michael's shot, what it did for me and what it did for the franchise. When Michael made that shot, we're now out of the first round. When we played Cleveland that year, we were 0-6 against them in the regular season. We beat them twice on their home court in game five. And so, I mean, just the euphoria of that. Then going to New York, winning game one, capturing home port, then win game six in Chicago Stadium. My son was a ball boy to grab him. Your heart just jumping through your chest. We're going to the conference finals. Then win two against the Pistons. Take them to six games. And I always say that shot by Michael, really what it did for me because I was fired, but the team went from here to here to here, and they were ready to go to the next step. So I was very proud of that. And I tell Michael all the time, that shot jump-started jump 
the franchise to where now all of a sudden Phil carried him to six championships and all. Tremendous friendships I have there. I'm still an advisor. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, I have lunch with him and all of his baseball buddies out in Arizona. Every Saturday, two hours, we meet outside this deli. And it was Tony La Russa and myself and Steve Stone and, and uh, the old commissioner, Bud Selig and Walt Jockety. And we go out there and all they want to talk about is basketball, all these baseball guys. But, you know, those moments are what we old timers live for now. Let's go tell some stories. So, uh, you know, I've probably been running all over the place, but uh, it's what my mind does when you ask me something. All of a sudden it just kickstarts all these things. John, I don't deserve all these things that happened to me. I grew up in a community where all my buddies became coal miners. I went back when I was in the NBA. One of my buddies was a coal miner. He'd been in the uh, so I'd been out 25, whatever. He'd been in the coal mines for like 25 years. He said, "I want to take you down tonight on my shift." So I got there with like 12 to 8 shift or whatever. I guess I put on the helmet, these whatever. I went downstairs. I went down in the in the bottom where they were drilling. You couldn't see a hand in front of your face. And these guys, he's down there working manual labor eight hours for 25 years. And I said, oh, listen, I didn't work hard. I played hard. Those people are working hard. I told the guys last night, the players, I said, you know what? I'm going to give you three letters and three words, J-O-B and J-O-Y. One is a job, one is joy. Let's find joy in our job. That one letter, B or Y, from job to joy. And that's the way I try to live my life. And that's what I want these young guys to learn. Life is about finding your joy. And sometimes it's hard, John. I'm sure when you got out, you're starting to figure out where I'm going. If I said, John, how did you get here? How are you the voice of the Redbirds? Where did all this happen? You've had mentors. You've had people who've taught you. You didn't get here by yourself. And you're going to call back on those people as you're doing this. Hey, listen to my podcast. What do you think? How can I be better? That's who we are. We keep trying to get better. Listen, I'm 71. I want to learn something today that I didn't know. Don't cut yourself short from a work standpoint because whatever you did, you had the touch of gold, though. And, you know, obviously the the Jordan shot we talked about with Elo in Cleveland, it, if it, nothing else, it really vindicated the job you had done because that franchise was struggling so bad and it really turned it around. Not to, Now, if he missed, still wouldn't take away the fact that you really turned that franchise well, around, though, and it made you – a very credible, sought-after NBA head coach then at that point, I would think. I would agree. Um, the one thing I, about that shot from my standpoint, Michael missed a shot. We don't get out of the first round. I get fired. Okay. So so for me to, to know we got into the conference finals, sixth game that every year, the first year we played the Celtics, Bird and McHale and Parrish, in a, in a best of three, they beat us. The next year, play Cleveland, beat them in a great series, Lose to the Pistons, and then the next year, so we lost to the Pistons 4-0, then 4-1, then 4-2. So it was the step mm-hmm. that was going up, and, and what was being planned for, the Pistons were getting old. They were not going to be around. Right. And you saw that when we swept them, and now it was Bulls, like, lights out, and who knows. That, you know, everybody says that Michael not taken off maybe eight in a row. Six world championships, Michael Jordan, six MVPs, defensive player of the year, two-time Olympian. I mean, I just I just marvel at what this man did and what he's done. I mean, the Air the Air Jordan line of of uh, in Nike. I mean, he's a mil- a billionaire, owns a team. I, I I sat next to him. He trusted me to be his coach. Like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, I, you said it better. Touch the gold uh, by the good graces of God. You know, it's it's funny when you – it's not odd that former players or coaches in the NBA work their way into the broadcast booth as an analyst. Radio, TV, the national broadcast, Olympics, as you did as well. But there's few and far between who pour their heart and soul into that aspect of the job. Some show up because there's a name recognition and are happy to be courtside again and talking about games. But that was something that you not only excelled in from an analyst standpoint, but you really put a ton of work into, didn't you? I did. Uh, 
you know, I, I said, you know, if you if when I did a game, probably it was only one day a week. So I, I did probably about 40 hours worth of work. I, I would get on, and I, I don't like to get on there and read stuff, but I read about the teams. I would watch their previous two games. I would listen to their home broadcast. Mm-hmm. They hear, you know, what is the team? What are they doing? Where are they playing well or whatever? What's going on? Somebody injured. So, you know, I counted on a lot of resources, as you do when you put that board in front of you, and it's laid out, and it's laid out. This is, I know where this is. I know where that is. I know where this is. I got a spotter next to me. He's going to point to something. I'm going to see it. So your teammate with him. Then radio. Spotter. There you go. There there you go. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, spotter. So so when I was there, sort of had a spotter. You know, when I'd work with Kevin Harlan and stuff, you had this and stuff. But but to – I didn't broadcast so I could go back and coach. I broadcast because I wanted to broadcast. And I I've I mean, can you imagine I sit next to Marv Albert, Bob Costas, Kevin Harlan, Bob Neal. I mean, I don't want to leave anybody out. The, these brilliant, brilliant guys. And I said, you know what, if I'm gonna sit next to them, I better do my homework. And I did. And I tried to you know, when you're on radio, I I love it because I'm riding in my car and I'm listening to you. And you're painting the pictures with words. It's Vince Scully. It's how Vince mm-hmm. Scully, because, you know, I can't see, John. Tell me what's going on. You know, so you don't need an analyst as much because there's not that much time. Right. So it's you, your mm-hmm. preparation. Go on and do what you have to do. So I did grow. I stayed in seven years. I wanted to stay in eight. That was my goal. That would have got my daughter out of high school and Chris out of Duke. So it was one year premature. That I went to Detroit. I was a GM and the coach. Uh, my daughter, I tried to get back to her senior events as much as possible. My son, I could see all the Duke games on TV. But I wanted to, to ride through them. But, I, but the opportunity presented itself. And I said, you know what? Grant Hill, Allen Houston, some pieces to build with. Uh, Mr. Davidson and Tom Wilson at the time, they, they really wanted me to come in and do what I did in in Chicago to grow up these young coach, uh, young players. Um, John, I don't know how you are, but I, I don't like to listen to a lot of other stuff because I don't want to be tainted sometimes with maybe the way I see things. I don't want to all of a sudden think, well, you know, I want to hear what they're saying, but I guarantee you today when you go on air, you've got this picture you're getting ready to paint. South Dakota, Illinois State, matchups, line play, Who's got the receivers? Quarterback, is he elite? Can they run the ball? I mean, all these things now. Now, for the next three hours, John, talk to me about the game because I'm counting on you to fill me into everything that's going on. It's nice when the career's over for you from a coaching standpoint to really be able to put your head down at night and know, regardless of where it was, whatever franchise it was, when you left that franchise, it was always in a better shape. That's not easy to do. You know, John, thank, thank you for that. Um, sometimes we get caught up in, did you win a championship? Did you do this? Did you do that? And the one thing I, I tried to do is wherever I went is these are the standards that we're going to set for ourselves, the way we're going to play. And uh, I had, when I went to Detroit, obviously with Michael and some, and then Scotty coming, oh, Charles Oakley, Horace Grant, you know, so obviously all those guys. Detroit, we were plus 18 my first year. Mm-hmm. We lost Allen Houston. We were plus six, so we were we won 100 games my first two years there. Went to Washington. They had won 19 games. Michael was playing at the age of 39. We won 37, which was plus 18. And Rip Hamilton missed 20 games that year. And Michael, 25, those were my two best players. And then going to Philly... And we were plus 14 the first year. The only team more improvement was plus 22, Tom Thibodeau with the, with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And Philly, we were, my second year, three minutes away from being in the conference finals. And interestingly enough, if you take in 2012 and you go back with the Philadelphia 76ers right now, they've made over 100 transactions since that point in time. And they're still trying to get past where we were. This is a huge year for the Sixers. You know, they're all in now with Embiid, mm-hmm. who is a magnificent player and a tremendous ambassador. 
of the community there of Philadelphia, what he does for the young people. Hard, James Harden has come in, uh, the Maxi kid, Tyrone Maxi, uh, Tobias Harris. So they, they've got – this is, I think, their year to maybe win it all and what it would mean for the city of Philadelphia. I yesterday was able to, through a contact, get my family seven tickets to the Phillies game yesterday against the Braves. And, John, I don't know if you watched it or whatever, but it was nothing to nothing. And in five pitches, Philadelphia was up six to nothing. And the place is going nuts. My my, my grandchildren or whatever. And you know what I said to myself? I'm so thankful I could help them have that opportunity. See, those are things I don't want to miss. It's no wins. It's no losses. It's joy. My grandkids had the best time of their Absolutely. life. And it was so, so awesome. For Phillies fans, that was an incredible environment, I think, yesterday. I'd be remiss before I let you go. Um, Ryan Pete and the athletic department announced December 10th they're going to play their game against SIU Edwardsville back at Horton Fieldhouse. will be the first time. In 34 years, the Redbirds have played a game in that building. You must have some phenomenal memories of that building. Wow. Um, When I spoke to the uh, trustees yesterday when they were getting ready to vote for whether they wanted to rename the stadium or whatever, I talked to them about embracing change. And I held up my cane, and I said, I never thought I'd ever walk with a cane, so this is a change in my life. I said... This cane also represents to me a transitioning in my life to now who I am at this particular point in time. I was in the North Gym last night. That's where we practiced. I walked out, and I saw where John Ferris had the cage for your equipment, and he would hand me my equipment, and it would be folded. And he would give me some little thing he would say. I walked up. And there was a ramp you walked up. And as I walked up this ramp, my heart started beating. And I walked up, got to the top of it. As I was starting to walk in the locker room, I said to him, I said, I want to make them happy when they leave tonight. I want to show them who I am. I want to bring joy. I want Illinois State to be special. And I had a flashback of that yesterday. Um, I, I thought about I got a little teary-eyed. Uh, December 10th, uh, I'm giving out uh, uh, 1,000 T-shirts to the first 1,000 students, and we're going to rock that place. And I can't wait to go out to uh, half court and look around and say, this is, where, this is where all my blood, sweat, and tears are. And so the change I was talking about to the trustees is all my memories are at Horton Fieldhouse, but we made a change. Mm-hmm. We're now in a bigger arena the essence of human life is change. And we, if we want to be the best, we need to have all of these dollars coming in so that Ryan and his staff has the best of things to operate because that's how you win. That's how you recruit. But you got to have a guy like Ryan who's going to be the, the, the guy, the gatekeeper, to make it all happen. So, yeah, John, uh, my wife and I will be here. My son plays the next day Northwestern. I don't know if he can get down I'm hoping maybe a couple of my grandchildren can be here. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Horton Fieldhouse, that's that's where it is for me. The start, it'll be great to see on the 10th. It's this, where everything started for you and obviously kind of the impetus of uh, not only phenomenal professional career, but obviously just a path you have walked in this life and, and enriched so many other people. Coach, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, excuse me, John. I always love to be with a pro. And we sat down and said, what do you want me to ask you? And I said, let's just go. And I'll follow your lead on how we talked here. I don't know how long. It was joy for me. And the Redbird fans are very blessed to have you take over this position and now be the voice of the Redbirds. So let's go, Birds. Let's go, Birds. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. That is Illinois State University Hall of Famer. Doug Collins. He has been our guest here on In the Nest. We'll wrap up this week's show right after this timeout. Stay with us. Welcome back to In the Nest as we take a look at the week ahead in Redbird Athletics. Brock's back in the Illinois State football team will look to make it three straight in conference play as the Birds open a two-game road swing with a date at Indiana State. Kickoff is set for 12 noon Central Time. Our coverage will get underway beginning 
at 11 o'clock with the State Farm Redbird pregame show. That's the Birds and the Sycamores this Saturday afternoon beginning at 11 a.m. on the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network from Learfield. Alley Matters and the Redbird Volleyball team will head south to open a two-match Valley set this weekend. The Birds will be in Nashville on Friday night for a date with Belmont before wrapping up the weekend with a Saturday afternoon match at Murray State. The Redbird men's and women's cross-country teams will travel to the University of Illinois on Friday afternoon to take part in the Illini Open. Race time is set for 4 o'clock in Champaign. The Illinois State swimming and diving team will be back in action this weekend. They'll take part in the MVC Showcase in Chicago. That two-day event kicks off at 5 o'clock on Friday and wraps up on Saturday morning with a 10 a.m. start. Redbird women's soccer will close out their regular season this weekend as Marissa Kresge's club will visit Evansville tomorrow night for a 6 o'clock match before capping the regular season on Sunday afternoon against Missouri State. Kickoff on Sunday is set for 12 noon at Adelaide Street Field. The men's tennis team will compete in the ITA Midwest Regional beginning tomorrow afternoon. The five-day event will take place on the University of Illinois campus in Champaign. While the women's tennis squad, they will be in Ann Arbor, Michigan for their ITA Midwest Regional. The women's regional will also get underway tomorrow. The Brock's Back Show presented by Bud Light returns tomorrow night from the Beer Garden at Schooners. We will be on the air beginning at 6 o'clock on AM 1230 at 102.1 FM WJBC as well as the Learfield Varsity Network app. And finally, the men's basketball team announced that their game against SIU Edwardsville, slated for December 10th, will be played inside Horton Fieldhouse. It will be the first men's game to be played in the former home of the Birds in 34 years. Now, due to limited capacity, season ticket holders will be offered the first chance to purchase tickets to the game, which will be preceded by a Legends Lunch featuring this week's guest, Hall of Famer Doug Collins. For more information on the game at Horton Fieldhouse and to purchase your men's and women's basketball season tickets for the upcoming campaign, visit GoRedbirds.com slash tickets. That'll do it for this week's episode for Redbird Hall of Famer Doug Collins and our entire crew. This is John Fitzgerald. We will talk to you next week right here on In the Nest. This has been In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation on the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network.